the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3 today on your ride home. We are delighted to be rejoined uh, with uh, Rabbi Pinchas Alush. We are going to be doing these sessions as part of our culture uh, segment every Friday, although I think we may have a little bit of an interruption just due to some travel for some upcoming ones. But it's a delight to have Rabbi Alush back in studio with us. He is the chief rabbi, the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can... Uh, Listen to it, sign up for it on Apple Podcasts, and he spells his name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, Rabbi Alush. Welcome back to the studio. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here again. One of the great pleasures of um, of what you put out uh, is is your podcast, and as we were talking last week, you uh, you do— an immense you put you pour an immense amount of wisdom into something like a five minute weekly message, and uh, these are wonderful messages to go into the weekend uh, to to go into the Sabbath with. And the topic uh, you have this week is um, it's really five hours worth of uh, learning in five minutes. Uh, I don't know how you do it. We talked about compacting last week, but it's titled "Achieving True Happiness," and I'd like to talk a little bit about that with you today if you're up for it. Absolutely. Sure. Well, um, achieving true happiness maybe is the dream of every human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. The question is how, and the question is what is happiness? Yeah. And it's interesting because if I may, in Hebrew, there are two separate words for happiness. One word is osher, and the other word is simcha. Maybe it is the same in English where one word is joy and the other one is happiness. But osher in Hebrew is defined as happiness that you feel. Simcha, on the other hand, is defined as happiness that you do. The difference between the two is that happiness that you feel is happiness that really depends on outside circumstances. I have to wait for good news and then I'll feel happy. I have to win the lottery and then I'll feel happy. So you're passive in that mode. But happiness that you do, simcha, is happiness that you master. If you go and visit the sick, if you do that happiness and you create happiness by making someone happy, then you are happy. Then, then you're active, and then happiness can really uh, be produced immediately. I give a uh, annual uh, commencement on air to high school and college students every year, and one of the things I say to uh, graduating high school and college students is that um, life will throw you some balls, some um, some curveballs. Uh, Herman Melville said the universal thump gets passed around. Well, I'll get it once in a while. And if you're ever in a funky place, a sad place, a depressive moment, and I'm not talking clinical depression, but passing depression or sadness maybe is the better word, one of the best ways to get out of it is to help someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you learn this in uh, all kinds of environments. Uh, this is the service that's based uh, that that underlies the foundation of a lot of twelve step groups. To help yourself, you help someone else, and that is one way to 
um, perhaps overcome the temporary sadness or the temporary depression you may be going through. But it is also a way, I think, if you – the word consistency, which is important to you, if you consistently behave that way, is probably one of the better paths to true happiness. Right. That's so well said. I would say that the root of this is that in Judaism, we believe that we are what we do, not what we feel, right. not even what we eat, <laughs> right. but what we do. It's the deeds that define us. And it's true. You know, as a rabbi, I go to many funerals. And I've never heard a eulogy in which people speak of the person of the deceased feelings. People speak of the deceased deeds, what they did in life, what they did in life for others, how they impacted the world positively. That's really what defines us at the end of the day. And therefore, the great emphasis in the Bible on deed, there is barely any talk about the emotions of those biblical characters. I would love to know, for example, I know your listeners are quite familiar with the Bible, but I would love to know how Abraham felt when he had to go and lead his son Isaac to death. There's not one word of his emotions. How Joseph felt when he was thrown in the pit. Not one word. But there are many, many words about the deeds of those characters. Because the Bible is trying to impart on us that it is the deed that counts most. Your feelings don't really matter. I've always taken the view that you can... Um if I can just take that to the next step on this, I've always taken the view that you can't think your way into good behavior. You have to act your way into good thinking, that good good feelings, good thoughts, uh, even self-repair and self-improvement is not going to come from thought so much as action. Right. Very, very well said. And, um, you know, you remind me <laughs> – when I was 16 years old, my beloved rabbi, Dean Steinsaltz of Blessed Memory, we spoke about last time, uh, called me aside and he said, look, I can see that you're feeling all sorts of feelings. I can see that you're perplexed. But let me tell you something. Only two people really care about your feelings, your mother and your shrink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seven billion people, though, will care about your actions. Oh, wow. And it's so true. Oh, wow. So true. It's the deed that defines us because it's the deed that impacts 7 billion people, you not the feeling. That, that, uh, that's itself worth an hour, um, and I love that. Um, bless your teacher, um, and bless you for giving us that. Uh, Rabbi, you connect this achieving true happiness to an act that is big in probably almost every religion, and it could and should be big even amongst the non-religious – and that's the issue of charity, which also comes with different words for it. It's in Judaism, I know, and you will correct me if I ever say anything wrong. Please don't ever hesitate. Sure. In Judaism, we often mistranslate certain words for charity. You know what I'm talking about. I'll give you the floor. Mm -hmm. That's right. The, the good point. So the word for charity in uh, Judaism we think is tzedakah. And that's really the word that refers to the act of charity. But it's interesting because tzedakah, by the way, that's the same word in Arabic, tzedakah. But that word does not really mean charity. That word means justice because we believe that charity is not an act that you can do if you're in a good mood, if you feel like being kind. But it's an act that you must do. It is only just to help the poor. It's not kind. It might be kind too, but it is an uh, it is an obligation on every single human being to help. And therefore, it's justice, not charity. 
And the people who engage in charity, and there are many ways to do it, many different ways to do it, engage in charity. It doesn't just mean writing a check, and it might even mean different ways of writing a check. We can get into the is it right. eight forms Maimonides talks That's about? Correct. We'll get yes. into that in a moment. But it is the act of charity that you conclude is perhaps one of the greatest and fastest paths to true happiness. I, I, I fully agree, and so does Judaism, I believe, and many other religions. Indeed. When, uh, and you can try this out at home or in the streets of our world. If you help someone, all of a sudden a, a, a feeling of goodness, of, of rejuvenation is born within us. That's just the way God created us. And that is indeed because when you help someone, it makes you happy. Try it. You won't regret it. That's what ties us back to the original point that if you are feeling in a perhaps depressed or sad state, the best thing you can do is help someone else, maybe even someone else in a similar state, right? That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, to, get, to get to this point that's, that's begging to be gotten to, there is a breakdown of different forms. There is a hierarchy of charities that was given by the, the great scholar Maimonides. Interestingly enough, I learned that well from the picture of that man over there. There's a picture of Jack Kemp over there. Mm. He was a candidate for vice president, member of the House of Representatives I had the pleasure of working for for many years. And he used to, in his stump speeches, say – because poverty was his big concern. And in his speeches – I have one in front of me. He said this, this non-Jewish man, Jack Kemp. He did go mm-hmm. to Fairfax High. But <laughs> the highest form of charity is to prevent someone from having to – Take charity. Those are the words of Maimonides, the 12th century rabbi who wrote Mishnah Torah, a code of Jewish law. Mm. That from the Protestant Jack Kemp. How close was he? Very close. Uh, actually, almost, almost the same. Okay. <laughs> the highest level of charity, you mentioned his eight levels, Maimonides' eight levels of charity. The highest level is just that, that you don't uh, give someone fish, you teach him how to fish mm-hmm. so that he doesn't have to take. Mm-hmm. But quite the opposite. You can make him into a giver. It's to strengthen a hand so that that hand will no longer be dependent upon others. Yes? Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me pick up on that with you uh, as we think about the kind of society we want to live in because there's a passion of mine which is in all forms of uh, – all forms. it really goes back to something Benjamin Franklin said. He said an ounce of – Prevention is worth a pound of cure, and it seems to me a lot of the societal problems we have, even some of which we talked about last week, um, they could be dealt with with this concept of charity where we actually act first so so as to prevent a need from occurring in the first place. Can we come back on that point? Absolutely. Beautifully said. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. Please check out his podcast. It's five minutes and – It's five uh, hours of mental thinking compacted into five minutes. Achieving True Happiness is his latest. Rabbi Alush on the Apple Podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My guest is Rabbi Pinkas Alush, host of the Apple uh, Podcast, uh, the Rabbi Alush Podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. Sorry. Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. After a while, we'll stop spelling it, but, uh, <laughs> okay. just as we uh, uh, do our training wheels here, Rabbi. Um, 
Yes. So we all want to live in a certain kind of community. And um, when I think of the kinds of notions that surround the concept of building a community, I go back to the first political scientist who was Aristotle. He was consumed with the notion of the happy life, um, just as his teacher was consumed with the notion of the just life. Plato was his teacher, consumed the just life. Aristotle talked about the summum bonum in Latin, greatest happiness. And it starts with building the right community. And it seems to me, if I'm reading and hearing your podcast this week correctly, happiness comes from action. We all have a moral duty to happiness. But if you combine that with the other thing you're talking about, which is charity, and you put that in the category of what's the highest form of charity, uh, ensuring that there is no need for charity, that is to say, preventing problems in the first place. It seems to me you can extrapolate this notion of individual happiness to a kind of notion of communal happiness. We have, for example, a huge problem of uh, chronic homelessness with addiction a few miles from here. You may have seen it. You may have read about it. Um, These are people in the grips of tremendous and terrible addiction. Some people have the notion of leave them alone. Others have the notion of why can't we do something to prevent people from getting into that position in the first place? You take it anywhere you want. Right. Yeah. I think you're touching upon something that is quite vital, especially in our society. And that is that if we speak of happiness as a deed, visiting the sick, like the example you brought, then what we are really speaking about is first and foremost being other-oriented, yeah. not self-oriented. Right. And that's a very powerful point, especially in a, in a society that is so focused on the I, on mm-hmm. the ego, on the me, mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Being other-oriented is what builds healthy communities. And therefore, tzedakah or charity or doing happiness, as we said, really is, is a key component to every healthy community. You know, I, I recall the Midrash uh, where the Jewish sages teach about how a person is born and how a person dies. And it notes that it's fascinating that when a person is born, his or her hands are completely uh, closed, but when a person passes on, his or hands are completely open. And the midrash says, "You see, when we are born, we think the whole world belongs to us, so we close our hands and we try to take and grab and grab. But when we die, we realize that nothing belonged to us in the first place, and therefore our hands are wide open." Or in the words of my rabbi, again, he would say that we only truly own what we give. Mm. We own what we give. That's important. I thought you were going to tell a different thing about the way we think about birth and death. And I'm trying to remember where it comes from. Perhaps it will ring familiar to you that the emotions we feel, emotions for a moment, and how wrong I guess they can be, is that when someone is born we're full of laughter and joy and celebration, what you have called simcha perhaps. And when they pass, we're very, very sad. It's right. a dolorous, a dolorous moment, and um, and maybe that's backwards. For when someone is born, we don't know the kind of life they will lead. Mm-hmm. Will it be a good life? Will it be a charitable life? Will it be a happy life? And when they die, having lived hopefully a charitable life, that's when we should be celebrating. That's, I don't know if that rings familiar. That rings very familiar. That's a very, very good point. In fact, the analogy that is used is a ship sailing yes, to a right. specific mission. 
we're all anxious when it leads to that mission, when it comes back and it succeeds in its mission. That's when we can rejoice. So, too, we are sent here to this world on a mission, okay. and we should be anxious, therefore, when a baby is born. Will he be successful or not? But when that person passes on and completes that mission on earth, and it was indeed a successful mission, then we can rejoice. That's correct. And I, I, if I may, I, yeah, will, sure. I will add to that yeah. that, that the success of that mission will very much depend on how other-oriented that person was. It, and, and it can be done anywhere. You know, the theme we spoke a lot about last week was what may seem small to you is big to God. And I was reminded recently of, you know, you can you can be charitable and be other-directed, outwardly-directed, almost all the time. For example, a friend of mine was talking to me about where he once learned that it's important that if you are in your car or in your home and you aren't doing anything necessarily productive or counterproductive, just minding your own business, let us say, and you hear an ambulance go by, it's incumbent on you to maybe say a prayer. Mm-hmm. Yes? That's Would correct. you say a word about that and correct. what you're praying for in that c- That's circumstance? right. I, I commend my wife who does that constantly with our children because the natural reaction is to say, oh, how terrible. And my wife often tells my children, well, instead of saying how terrible, let's help this person. We can pray. And they usually say a psalm, a, a chapter from the book of Psalms together to pray for that person, whoever he or she may be. And in a way, it is translating emotion to action. That's right. That's right. Whatever one believes about the power of prayer or not, it is, it is taking the person saying the prayer out of themselves and making them other-directed, thinking about another person, which is where you, again, find the path to the greatest happiness, right? That's correct. That's correct. You know, you remind me of yet another Hebrew word, but uh, not tzedakah, but the word for life. Many, many of your listeners may know the word for life from the Fiddler on the Roof where the Lechaim, <laughs> uh, you know, yes. word is very often recited. Chaim is the word for life, Chaim. But it's interesting because Chaim is in the plural tense. There is no word for one life in Hebrew. Hmm. And the reason is because life can only be measured and determined by whether I've impacted other lives, whether my life encompassed other lives and influence them positively. If I've lived in the plural tense, so to speak, then I've truly lived. If not, that's not a life. <laughs> You're going to keep bringing these great Jewish sources. I'm going to keep bringing you these secular ones that, Please that coincide Please with this, this so maybe people will have a better appreciation. Right. But in the famous book and more famous movie, The Wizard of Oz, um, the wizard is discovered at the end and he's actually quite a philosophical fellow. Yes, he was for many years committing a fraud, obviously, but he was a very philosophical fellow who did give these people what they needed most, which was knowledge. And one of the things he says is, what I have learned in life is it's not how much your heart loves others, but how many hearts love you in return, mm. right? Beautiful. So uh, if you watch The Wizard of Oz and want to know what that means, Rabbi Elush just explained the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, biblical source for it. When we're talking about happiness, we can't gloss over the difference uh, between what you started with and I took a different turn on, so I'd like to return to it when we come back from the break, which is the difference between uh, real happiness, true happiness, and, shall we say, uh, fun or amusement, if we can. Uh, 
people think that there was this expression in the 80s, he who dies with the most toys wins. It was about, you know, the fastest car, the best uh, the best of everything, maybe the fanciest of clothes. These kinds of uh, people who, who, who try to achieve happiness these ways find it very fading, very ephemeral. And again, you like you know I like the theme of what's durable. True happiness is durable. And maybe you could say something about that distinction when we come right back. Sure. Rabbi Alush is my guest. He's the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, and the head rabbi at Congregation Bet Tefila in Scottsdale, sometimes known as CBT. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. We're talking about his uh, podcast this week on achieving true happiness. You can uh, get his podcasts at Apple Podcasts. Rabbi Alush spells his name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. There's a difference between happiness and maybe, uh, maybe yes, we have different words. You used the word joy. I think that's a little different. But just to make it stark, a difference between happiness and amusement Happiness, which I think you would consider the durable we're seeking, and uh, amusement, which we're not against. I mean, it's important to have uh, recreation, I suppose, right. would be another word for amusement. But we shouldn't confuse the two. They are different things, right? Right. Absolutely. So it goes to this idea that happiness equals self-fulfillment. Any other type of Happiness is not really happiness. If I am not fulfilling my deeper self, not my physical self or even my emotional self, but rather my deeper self, which I would define as soul, that self that has a purpose in life, that self that was sent here to make a little dent on the universe, as Steve Jobs put it. If I'm not fulfilling that self, then I won't be happy because happiness equals self-fulfillment. Now, what is interesting is that when I actualize my deeper self by doing good, by visiting the sick, because all of these good deeds are in sync with my deeper self, then I, uh, then I become happy. If I engage in other activities that may bring me some fleeting amusement, that might bring me temporary, quote-unquote, happiness, but certainly not true happiness or durable happiness. And that also has an implication to the conversation about charity, and I, I just love how you you find that these two concepts of happiness and charity to be inseparable, if you will, uh, maybe mutually dependent upon one another, in a sense. Because, you know, again, in the world I I operate more in in public policy, many of us were fascinated by some work by former president of the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington named Arthur Brooks. I don't know if you've ever read any of his works, but his discovery and the phrase he used was the most – and he was a professor before, uh, at, um, at SUNY before he was at uh, AEI where he studied happiness, which is its own interesting field. And he came up with the conclusion that people who earn their success are the most happy um, earned success, and uh, we think of it in the public policy realm when it comes to the issue of charity and welfare. Welfare may be important as a cushion, some of us think, I think, but as a condition, as a permanent condition or a generational condition, you are, you are, you are uh, devaluing earned success, which is the greatest way to achieve true happiness. Mm. 
Hmm. Very, yeah, very, very. Earned success, again, being the action element of, of, of the pathway. Right. Very wise words. Because, again, I, I think those deeds are indeed aligned with your deeper self. You see, we have to, Viktor Frankl, the mm-hmm. author of, of A Man's Search for Meaning, puts it so beautifully. He says that, and, and I don't know if I'm, I'm quoting word for word, but the idea is that um, one can handle any how if he or she knows the why. Okay. And I, I don't know if I'm quoting that verbatim, but, but that was the big idea. Now, I think that it all comes back to the why. Why was I sent here to this world? Mm-hmm. Why did God create my being? And the general answer, everyone has their own individual answer. I have skills and talents to actualize and so on. But the general answer that belongs to all is I was sent here to make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. The best way to do that is through deeds of goodness and kindness, charity, tzedakah, as we spoke about. When we do that, then our soul feels fulfilled, and that is what creates true happiness. And, it, and, and, and in helping others, again, it can be through physical act. It can be through donating time. Uh, Dennis Prager, who actually has written a book on happiness as well now that I think about it, Happiness is a Serious Problem, was the name of his uh, book. And he, I think he may even have an app, happy, Happiness Hour every – does he have a Happiness Hour every week, Bill? He has a Happiness Hour every week. And he says happiness is a moral duty, a moral obligation put upon all of us. But he also says you know, that there are different ways to do all kinds of things that include happiness, but that include justice, that include fighting for right or good. Um, if you can't be the warrior, if you can't be the person on the front lines of it, you can support those who are. Um, so there are, are various ways of, of doing it, so long as you are doing it, um, so long as you are doing it. Now, some people, it seems to me, spend a lot of time unhappy, looking for happiness, chasing happiness. And one of my other teachers once said that uh, finding happiness is like chasing a cat. If you keep trying to find that thing, keep chasing that cat, you will never get it. But if you are content and calm and good with yourself, the cat, the happiness will come to you. Maybe yeah. you'd like to riff on that when we come back. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very well said. <laughs> we'll do that in just a second. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Please check out his podcast. If you like it, please like it uh, by giving it stars and subscribing to it at Apple Podcasts. Rabbi Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have in studio with us uh, Rabbi Pinchas Salush. He is the um, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, which means House of Prayer in Scottsdale. And he is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Rabbi, the allegory I was giving you about happiness and finding it and the eternal search for it, it's a funny thing that the people I find who keep telling me they're on a quest for happiness or if they're always seeking happiness, they're never really going to find – there is an element. I guess this is the irony of it. There is an element of of being comfortable with yourself. There is an element of working on yourself to achieve happiness, and 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 it's not something that you can always find outside, right? That's right. That's right. As much as it's outwardly directed, there is a – ironic reverberation to the self. That's right, because it's not the ego self. There you go. 
It is the soul self, okay. the ego-less self. Okay. And uh, when we're in tune with that ego-less self, with that soul and its purpose in life, and we actualize that purpose by visiting the sick, like you were saying before, or uh, giving our time or our money or our, emotion, uh, our emotions even to our empathy to others, then we create happiness because our soul feels fulfilled. And I think that that analogy that you brought beforehand is is so perfect because it speaks exactly to that. And that is that, you know, the pursuit of happiness, something that we speak of a lot, but we don't realize that very often the pursuit itself thwarts happiness. Right, right. It, what we should be pursuing is fulfilling our deeper self, mm -hmm. actualizing the reason for which we were created, which is doing good. Now, of course, everyone has mentioned as their own individual uh, mission here on earth. But everyone has common goals to fulfill, and that is doing good, bettering the world. If we can engage in that, then happiness will come to us. It's almost like love. Yeah. I was, yes. If, it's a if, learned behavior. That's right. Yeah. But even love is a byproduct. Mm -hmm. If I give and give and give, then I love. Or as someone once said, it's not because I love that I give. It's because I give that I love. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like I th I I I, th I think that what people will then say is, well, Rabbi, um, how do I know what my mission to do? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Is you know, God doesn't speak to us the way we read about how He spoke to perhaps uh, Abraham or Moses. How are we supposed to find it? Um, and and you know. I'm not sure what you, I would love. Your, I'm obviously asking for your answer. My initial thought is, well, keep active and you'll know it when you see it kind of thing. I like that a lot. Probably put a lot put a lot of pulpits out of business with that one. <laughs> OK. <laughs> I like that a lot, but I'll condense it into okay. two very quick thoughts. Right. Thought number one is we have to know who we are, what our personality is, what our talents are. If God God doesn't tell us what our purpose is, but it gives us some very good hints. Yeah. Some of the hints include the talents that we have. If I'm a musician and I don't play music, then my soul will feel suffocated because it wants to act upon that talent that it was gifted. So we have to know who we are. That's that's point number one. Our talents, our skills, and so on. But but point number two is that we also have to be open. And what I mean by open is what we were speaking about before: other oriented. I have to walk on earth with my eyes always searching for the reason for which God put me in that place at that time. I may be at a gas station right now, and I have to open my eyes and look at the person next to me and maybe just smile at that person. Maybe that smile will uplift his day. We never know. But we always have to look for those opportunities by being other-oriented to really fulfill our purpose. You know— life. Maybe we do, in a way, know if I, if you'll, if you'll forgive me. Maybe in a, in a way, we know by its opposite. Um, this was kind of the point Aristotle was making uh, in his quest for understanding what true happiness was. We can sometimes know things by their opposites. So, for example, uh, we don't know if a smile will help someone, but we know what an unkind word or an unkind look will do. Mm. We know that. Isn't that interesting? We know that that will make them put someone on the defensive or put someone on their heels or put someone in a lesser or worse mood. We should possibly, if you'll permit me the argument, uh, possibly know that there's no 
at minimum, no harm in a smile, but for certain it's got to help someone. Very well said. I mean, it's it's in a way quite a pity yeah. that we know what doesn't work, mm-hmm. but it's it's almost a mathematical equation. We just have to flip those things around, and then we'll know what does work. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. It's a, it's a very good way of looking at life altogether. I think we'd, we'd be living in a kinder world if we could reach those easy conclusions and do what does work. We talk about a meaningful life. We talk about a life well lived. We talk about doing acts of kindness, justice uh, for the other person as well as for ourselves and for God as well. Um, I'm in driving over here. I was thinking about. I was thinking about something that is famously attributed to Elie Wiesel, where he said, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. And maybe it's the opposite of happiness and charity, too, apathy. Mm, That's right. I think it's opposite of every good uh, quality under the sun. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. nothing. Apathy is perhaps the greatest source of all trouble. And... Um, you know, I, I'm sure everyone can relate to this. I can work with people that have many emotions of anger, of hatred, because emotions they have. It's just a question of channeling them. But I can't work with people that are completely apathetic. Right. There's nothing to work There's off of. There's nothing to work on. Right. Right. It's not off. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like playing tennis without a partner <laughs> on the right. other side of the net. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Rabbi... Again, thank you for coming you. in, and thank you for spending your day, um, your day's last hours with us. Because you are going into the Sabbath, I know how um, how important it is that you uh, get home in time. So I just can't tell you how how appreciative I am for your time here in person with us. We won't see you for a couple of weeks, as I understand it, because right. you are going to be engaging in, if I may, some simchas. That's right. Some happy occasions. Yes. Uh, well, may you uh, travel well, happy, thank and you safely, so much. and we'll look forward to your triumphant return in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Seth, and I'm truly honored and humbled and so pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Again, folks, Rabbi Alush, you can follow his podcast, listen to his podcast at Apple Podcasts, and it's A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, and he invites anyone and everyone to attend his congregation as well, Congregation Beth Tefillah, whether you are already a believer or whether you are not, whether you are Jewish or whether you are not. It is a congregation open to all. Rabbi Alush, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. A lot of you have heard me talk about Y-Refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what investing with Y-Refi can do for you, they urge you to give them a call. They're happy to put you in touch with any number of their very satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very well indeed. Their phone number is 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Folks, how's your IRA doing? Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right, tax-deferred. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. 
Rabbi Alush gave us a lot to think about and um, his uh, scholarship in uh, the uh, religious teachings on things such as happiness and charity uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't touch uh, I don't have uh, the fingernail size that he he is and I do occasionally look to the ancient Greeks we think of our country and Western civilization as a blend of what we learn from Jerusalem and Athens, that is to say, biblical wisdom and what we learned from the great Greek teachers and philosophers and the combination of those two. I'm particularly fond of what Aristotle said about happiness or what he called eudaimonia. It's not self-satisfaction. He did not believe it could be achieved by the accumulation of good things in life, material goods, status, wealth, public recognition, but a constant and internal private state of mind that isn't just about being in a blissful mood. You get to that state of mind by the fulfillment of your human potential, as the rabbi was saying, the permanent amusement or vacation will never get you there. It's not something you can do for immediate gratification. And you are not going to find happiness through immediate gratification. Our founders do use that phrase, pursuit of happiness, and they don't mean it in the sense of pursuing the cat. They mean it in the Aristotelian sense. It's the consistent and constant effort of doing what the rabbi pointed out the Hebrew word for charity is, tzedakah or justice. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. Thank you for spending some of your day and hour for, with us. We take none of it or you for granted. It's a great privilege and honor to be in your cars, your homes, your hearts, your heads, your ears. So until Monday, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.